Hello, Syngap Lamb. My name is Michael Gralia, and this is episode 121 of Syngap 10, your 10-minute weekly briefing on everything you should know about Syngap 1. Today is Tuesday. No, it's not. It's Wednesday, October 25th, and I'm going to talk about missense variants in this episode. I'm going to talk about a grant we've just given, or we gave a little while ago, and I'm finally telling you about it, to work on missense variants, and then I'm going to explain why missense variants are such a hot topic. Missense variants are, by the way, commanding three different slots in our agenda for the conference, which I talked about in episode 120. If you have not seen episode 120, first link in the show notes is the YouTube for episode 120. Go watch that and then come back here and learn about missense variants. If you are a family of a missense variant, this is my episode. I'm going to send every missense family to go watch this episode and learn about missense variants because I find myself saying what I'm about to say to a lot of families. If you're not a family with a missense variant, you may choose to skip this, but frankly, I think it's worth understanding missenses to understand Syngap mutations generally. So level one, there are basically two kinds of mutations in our community. There's protein truncating variants and there's missense variants, right? Protein truncating variants are variants that cause a premature stop. You might've been told you have a nonsense or a frame shift. Those are both premature truncation variants. And what they mean is somewhere along the mutated allele, the bad copy of the gene, you have a mutation that causes it to stop early. Because it stops early, it's just incomplete. The body sees that incomplete protein, chews it up, spits it out. You have a classic haploinsufficiency. Then there are people, a much smaller of our diagnosed population, but a much larger percentage of Syngap mutants generally. Um, But don't get confused about that where the good copy is a good copy and the bad copy does complete, but there's one bad piece in there, so it's misfolded, it's bent. And as a result of that, it does, we don't know. And that is the good, that is the problem, right? So a lot of these misfolded, missense mutants, unless there is evidence, get diagnosed as, uh, get classified rather, they don't get diagnosed, that's the problem. They get classified as a variant of uncertain significance or a thus right? And and that is a problem for many reasons. Reason one, oftentimes families aren't even told about VUS, and this makes me crazy. Reason two, um, we just don't know enough about the gene yet. So I'm excited to share with you today that uh, that SRF EU and, and, and SRF US have given a grant, another grant to Turku, um, and Turku is an institute in Finland, to, uh, to build a model, a, a a digital model of um, some Syngap missense mutants that will be publicly available so the scientists working on missense mutants can go and learn about it and so the clinicians, genetic counselors, and geneticists can go to this tool and learn about it. And we, we we're giving um, a, a team of researchers at Turku $100,000 to work on this in silico model that will, will be public-facing. Anybody will be able to use it. So families will be able to use it, scientists, and clinicians. It's a really big deal. And um, huge congratulations to Turku, and thank you for doing this work. And I want to acknowledge that this work builds on um, and, and sort of came from a grant we've already given to Michael Courtney. Now, Michael Courtney is doing in silico work on missense mutants, right? No, in vitro. So we are giving um, Professor Pastilla and um, another professor whose name I'm not even going to try because I'll get it wrong. But um, we're giving them $100,000 to do in silico work, a digital model. And, and the way we met them was we were already giving Dr. Courtney um, a grant to do in vitro work 
on on missense mutants and in vitro means in glass right so he's actually in the lab working on a few mutations and i said to professor courtney i said hey this is great but we have so many missense mutants out there to figure out and you're just doing a handful because that's as much as you can do in a glass how do we do more and he's like well you know these guys down the hall they do this and i said great because you guys are down the hall and you can work together and let's do this so super exciting that we're doing this grant huge congratulations to the team at Turku, and thank you so much for working on syngap missense mutants so one of the questions I get from people is like, hey, you know, the, the STXBP1 community or the whatever community, they have missense mutants. Why? It's not hard for them. Why is it hard for us? This is a very good question. And the answer is the degree to which the gene is structured. So I'm not going to try to really pretend to understand this super well, um, but I'm going to explain it to you as it's been explained to me many, many times. Some genes, the structure, the crystal structure is well understood, right? You can go to this thing called AlphaFold. AlphaFold is a tool that's been put online by DeepMind. DeepMind is from Google, smart people. So if you go to AlphaFold right now and type in Syngap1, you will see a picture of, of the Syngap gene, right? And you can also type in SDX, BP1, whatever gene you want. And the degree to which that gene is like fully colored in and there's an actual picture is the degree to which we understand exactly what that gene looks like. And the degree to which there's some parts that are colored in, but there's a lot of just little lines, which I call spaghetti, is the degree to which that gene is unstructured or disordered, right? The degree to which we do not understand exactly how that gene is supposed to look. And, and, and the reason that matter, and that's not because we haven't figured it out yet, right? Believe me, I've asked. I've been like, who can I pay to figure this out? And, and people are like, no, no, Mike, it's not that simple. It's, it's disordered. There are, there are times when the gene waits until the last minute to figure out what to do, and then it takes that shape. And, and if you don't believe me, um, Dr. Underbaki gave us a webinar recently, links in the show notes, Go, and I linked exactly to the moment where he starts talking about how disordered um, the Syngap gene is and, and, and why it is so, right? So don't trust me. Go listen to Dr. Underbaki, super smart guy. Go look at Syngap1 on AlphaFold. Syngap is highly unstructured. And so when we get these missense variants, when we find out that one block in this chain is the wrong block, it's not obvious in an unstructured gene if that is disease-causing or not. Well, Mike, I know so-and-so's got a missense variant and so-and-so's got a missense variant. How come they have missense variants? Also a good question, right? In fact, we even have a blog, links in the show notes, about you know uh, one particular missense variant where we have like eight or ten patients with the same missense variant. How did that happen? Well, let me tell you how a, a mutation that is unclear. So a protein truncating variant, that gets classified out the door. Protein truncating, pathogenic. You got the disease. Missense variant, people look at that and they say, hmm, have we seen this before? Well, that's the first question. So they go to a thing called ClimVar and they say, has anyone else ever, ever seen this mutation? If yes, and if that's published, then they'll say, well, we found another patient with this mutation and it sounds like they got diagnosed with Syngap and so... We'll give it to you. Okay, but how did that first patient with this mutation get diagnosed? And the answer is, sometimes you can tell from like which block has changed, but that, uh, that's getting geeky. Generally, the answer is, it's a combination of ge genetic molecular evidence, right? Okay, based on what we're seeing happening in the gene, this could really be a problem with phenotypic evidence. So clinical evidence. How did this patient present? This kid had a weird missense mutation in, in Syngap1, and guess what? They're intellectually delayed, they can't sleep, they're having seizures, smells like Syngap, feels like Syngap, Syngap drugs work on this kid, probably Syngap. And then someone took that genetic, that genotype information, and that clinical, that phenotype information, and said, yes, this missense variant 
is, pro- is causing Syngap 1. And then some clinician, thank God, typed this in and entered it into ClinVar so another clinician in another part of the world with another patient could look it up and say, oh yeah, someone else has seen this mutation and it causes disease. So how come we have these eight mutations in this one missense variant? Well, a long, long time ago, um, one of our families found this mutation and luckily that family had some great clinicians and they looked at it and they looked at the mutation, they looked at the kid and they're like, yeah, this is Syngap 1. And once they entered that into ClinVar, every other kid who was found later was, was classified as having pathogenic Syngap 1. And what does that mean? Remember, why does it matter to get pathogenic versus VUS? If you get pathogenic, the family gets told, you have a diagnosis, you know what's causing a problem. If you have a VUS, the family probably isn't gonna get told. Why would you tell a family? Well, there's this gene you've never heard of called Syngap and there's this missense mutation that no one can really explain and it may or may not be causing the disease. No clinician A wants to have that conversation or B has the time to have that conversation. So they don't have the conversation. And then the family walks out and says, I'm still undiagnosed and they don't know that they're this close to a Syngap mutation. But what if those clinicians had a, had a public facing website, a Syngap missense server, where they could type in the mutation, see a visualization, and see the best and most current algorithms about how to interpret that. Would that give them the confidence to get more data, to tell the families, to run more tests, to figure it out? That's our, that's our vision, right? That's why we're funding this work. We wanna make sure that more families who, who have gone to the trouble of getting genetic testing, have found a mutation in Syngap1, but it's missense. We want to make sure that if that missense is in fact disease causing, because not all of them are, but if it is, we want to make sure the tools exist for the clinicians to go that extra inch and get that family diagnosed. That's why we're giving this grant, right? And I want to make this illustration even clearer. I got contacted really recently by um, a, a parent of a child in another country. I'm not going to talk about the country or the age because I don't want to identify this family, but parents said, hey, my kid's got Syngap. They sent me the mutation. I looked at the mutation. And I was like, huh. Typed it in, into ClinVar. And guess what I found in ClinVar? Because this is what happens. I found two other um, patients with this disease. And I, and I sent it back to mom. I said, look, here's a paper from 2015 in the UK. Look at the patient at the end of table one. And here's a, patient from, and here's a paper from 2018 in South Korea. Look at patient 10. Same mutation. And I said, there's two other patients, at least two other patients out there with your kid's mutation and you should try to find them. Now, does every Syngap patient with the same mutation present exactly the same? No. We know this from people who have two kids with the same disease. But there are some similarities sometimes. So I said, you know, here you go, mom. And by the way, based on the age of this patient, I do not believe that this patient would have been classified classified as pathogenic had these two papers not already been in the literature. But because they were in the literature, the doctors were able to tell this, this parent, your child, this, this, we know this missense mutation in Syngap is causing disease, right? And I'll, and I'll put those links in the show notes, the mutation, the ClinVar, the two papers. So that is the power of this, guys. That is why this is so important. If we can build a tool that will help missense variants be classified earlier, then um, more patients will be given a diagnosis earlier. More patients will find this mighty community we have. They will learn about the meds that work, the meds that don't, and they will find each other. Because that's how we take the best possible care of our kids is we get to know each other, we, we support each other, and we work together to fund science to accelerate medicine.
And this, by the way, if you're a missense family, you might have gotten on the phone with me and I might have said, I might have typed your mutation into ClinVar and said, hey, I haven't seen this mutation before. No one's seen this mutation before. I said, let's make a cell line. You guys have heard me say this before. Links in the show notes for our cell line blog. You should read it. I'm a strong supporter of making a cell line of every missense mutation. Um, this is because these are really not well understood. And even though we're funding the in silico work, um, at Turku, and even though Dr. Courtney is doing the in vitro work on a handful of mutations, there, there's the missenses are still very complicated. And I urge families with missense mutations to really think about help working with SRF to make a cell line so that we can make sure these are studied. I've talked about cell lines many times before. Um, links in the show notes to the Courtney grant, which we gave first, the Courtney webinar in which Dr. Courtney talked about his work. There's a Haas webinar where he talked about some work on missense variants. Um, and there's also a link to EpiMVP, which is another project not funded by SRF, where they're also looking at, at Syngap variants of uncertain significance. And I'm excited for both of those. By the way, both EpiMVP and the recipients of this grant will be talking at the conference. Register for the conference. It's in 35, 36 days. Um, EpiMVP and the Turku team hopefully will, will both produce tools. Um, I'm, un I'm unclear on the timeline for both, but it can't happen fast enough for me. And I think having multiple independent platforms that people can query and, and compare results will be very helpful because um, it's highly unlikely they always get the same answer, right? The, 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 we, are at the, we are at the bleeding edge of science. And I got to tell you two other things. I'll make two other points. I was at a conference um, last week. I spoke about it in the last episode and I was talking to a government official and I said, I am blown away when I go, uh, when I hear about studies and I see people doing clinical trials and they're not genotyping everyone. In other words, they're not confirming the genetic diagnosis and they're not comparing their results against genotypes like protein truncating and missense or whatever. And this government official said to me, she said, yes, we agree. And that is very much coming onto our radar very fast. So that was great for me to hear because um, it tells us we're on the right track and it tells us that as usual, we're a step ahead of the curve, which is great because this work takes time and money. And we really, the sooner we figure this out, the sooner we help patients get diagnosed. The other thing I want to acknowledge is that um, this Turku grant builds on a Michael Courtney grant, which builds on a previous grant to Michael Courtney by Leon and Friends. Leon and Friends is an organization um, created in Austria for a Syngap patient named Leon who tragically passed. If you don't know about that, um, Links in the show notes to the YouTube article. Um, but Leon's parents were told early on that Leon had Syngap and that he had a missense mutation. And they said, who's doing work on missense mutations? And they were told, frankly, um, look, missenses are complicated and protein truncatings aren't. So we're going to work on the protein truncating and somebody will get to the missense variants one day. And, and um, Leon's mom was like, that's, that's not okay. That's no, we have to figure this out. And we have to figure it out now. And she created Leon and Friends and she fundraised like crazy and she started working with Professor Courtney or Michael Courtney. And then um, they eventually came to us and said, hey, would you help us continue to fund Michael Courtney? And we did. And then um, we lost Leon. And understandably, his parents said, we, we're not doing do this anymore. And all of the in-flight grants of Leon and Friends were, were transitioned to SRF to manage. So... I don't bring that up to be um, sad or depressing, although now I'm a little sad, but I bring it up because I think it's critically important that we never forget 
the impact one family can have. None of this work. And I'm talking about between uh, Courtney and this grant, hundreds of thousands of dollars of work. None of this work would have happened if, if Sandra Alper had not gone and found Michael Courtney. And I want to tell, remind every family out there that one family can do so much. And that there's a mighty community here that if you want to stand up and raise some money and advocate for what you want to advocate for, go for it. And then come to us and let us help you amplify the work because that is how we're making progress right now. This whole platform um, will be a, a part of Leon's legacy. And um, I'm really excited about it. And if you have a missense mutation out there, we are moving as fast as we can to make sure that your mutation is understood and that all the other missense mutants out there are found and brought into the fold. And I want to thank um, the team at Turku for taking this on. This is not an easy science experiment. Um, they, have, they have accepted a really challenging project here. And I'm very grateful to them for doing that. And I'm looking forward to thanking them in person at our conference. Where, and hopefully you can come to our conference and you can thank them too. Because this is exciting work. This is the kind of work that SRF exists to fund. Things that will meaningfully um, change the lives of, of patients and families of Syngap 1. So congratulations to the team at Turku. And thank you to everybody who helped make this possible.